finish messages for Colin or Ryan. It's Chris Carlin with Upper Deck. Uh, you've got a story up that is just completely inaccurate uh, and poses to do damage to our company. Uh, I, I want that pulled as soon as possible. Uh, if it's not, the uh, next call will be from our legal team. So thanks so much, guys. Bye. What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. It's been a while, but clearly uh, it hasn't stopped me or uh, the website that I built many years ago to ruffle some feathers in the hobby, as you can hear. Clearly, uh, if you've been following this podcast and uh, my life, basically, for the last uh, many years, since about 2008, I started doing this uh, podcast. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have been, someone's threatened to sue me. If I had a dollar every time some idiot group breaker or some, uh, some guy for, that worked at a card company threatened to sue me, I probably could buy upper deck outright myself, probably have enough money. But, so I'll talk about that clearly. Um, if you don't follow, uh, the Twitter or you don't follow, uh, my every move. I didn't even write the article. I, you know, for some reason, the the phone call to to threaten to sue came to my phone. But um, maybe they maybe they know the pecking order. But um, yeah, so Upper Deck was very angry at an article that was posted on SportsCardRadio.com. So we'll talk about that. Uh, the ECB. What the heck is the ECB? Sounds like a rap group, maybe, or sounds like uh, something, uh, some acronym for something, obviously. Uh, it's the European Central Bank announced the free money policy. Some people call it, like, if the rich guys call it quantitative easing because they don't want you, the average man, to know what it is. So you don't know that it's actually called the free money policy. Some people call it monetary policy or whatever. Bond buying program. So you, as the average guy, think, oh, this is something for guys that wear suits and this is this is only for the rich and privileged. Well, it's really called the free money policy. And that's why the whenever rich guys put a fancy name to something, it's because they don't want you to know how easy it is to make money. And so not to go on a long tangent out there but flashing lights to any of you that missed the last five six years in the u.s stock market you just following this show if you've done that for the 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 duration of i started this show and there were many times you could go back to the old ones and listen i'll talk about how i'm broke how i have no money how i'm not doing anything fun how i just closed a business how i can't find a job all, all of that. I'm sure I talked about all that, not at length, but in bits and pieces. Oh, but what happened? The U.S. enacted their own free money policy, monetary policy, or whatever it is. And you sure as hell always hear me talk about being broke or not having a job. or uh, don't, I haven't had a job since then. So you should tell you, should show you how uh, effective the free monetary policy can be. So I suggest all of you, that's my subtle hint to all of you. I, I'm about to talk 30 minutes about worthless cards and cardboard and something that ultimately should always be a hobby and a, a very, very distant thing that you spend a lot of your money on. Stop what you're doing. You can even stop this podcast, but sometime today... Go figure out how you can take advantage of the free money that is going to be given out for, I think they said until 2000, either 2017 or 16. Either one sounds good to me. They're going to give out free money. And if you can't figure out how to participate into that after you just saw what happened to the United States, again, there's no guarantee that any of these things work. But if recent history repeats itself, uh, you're going to be kicking yourself twice that you didn't go get some of that free money. So, moving on, 
moving on again, like I said, to more uh, fun things, worthless cardboard. People wonder why I take shots at people into the industry or say whatever the heck I want. It's because it's it's really just kind of a hobby. It's kind of fun. I'm not sitting here. My back's not going to break if nobody comes to my website. In fact, I, I get emails all the time. Where are the checklists? Why aren't you putting up checklists? Guys, hey, I'll be honest with you. Like I said, the last four or five years, the, the United States of America has been handing out free money. How they're doing that? How did I get a piece of that? Guys, There's a, I could tell you exactly how I did it, but there's f- about 50 other ways you could go get the free money that they're handing out. It's not a loan. I don't have to pay any of this money back. So, I, I come on. It, it takes hours and hours and hours to put up checklists. I'm not going to do that when... I don't really, I don't need the the monetary benefits that come from that. So there you go. But I will still do this podcast. I really enjoy doing this podcast. And I sure as heck love talking about the business and the industry. But we are going to talk about Upper Deck and Panini. And the, the as you heard in the first bit, <laughs> the, uh, the, the anger. Oh from upper deck that I could have posted or again, I can't take credit for this. Um, but I am privy to the sources, uh, for, of this story between upper deck and Panini. And I will say, I will, if my brother didn't write the article, I probably would have said something on the podcast. Exclusive licenses got an email. Interesting one. We'll talk about, you know, it'll be perfect segue in from Upper Deck and Panini into exclusive licenses. And finally, I know I've gotten a lot of requests for this. I've got two interviews. Forgive uh, me. I've got two interviews uh, lined up. And those those are the you two that are waiting. I haven't gotten you back. I had a family member. I'll be honest with you guys. I've been away. I mean, I've been doing stuff and I've been working and I've been, you know, doing different things. But, um. You know, I had a family member pass away in the last, you know, four weeks or so. So, and and they lived in another state, and so it's you know the, you know, it's taken taken some time, and uh, so we've been away for a while. So uh, I felt like doing this podcast. I haven't had time to schedule um, these interviews that we're going to have, but we're going to bring a NASCAR guy on, and we're going to be bring another guy on that sounds like he. you know, really loves this hobby too. And so we'll talk, we'll talk to both those people um, probably in the next month. I'll try to do it in March here. Um, But finally, I'm going to get to vintage cards. I've had many requests on this. I'm going to, what I'm going to do is maybe make it kind of a, well, as long as I remember it. And if I forget, you guys can remind me, but I'll try to string together four or five shows where I'll talk about um, vintage cards. And, you know, we might have breaks in between when we do an interview. I, li- I kind of like the interview shows maybe just to be the interview now. Um, so we'll probably skip it then. But all the shows where it's just me, we'll talk about vintage cards likely at the end. Today, we'll talk about really the stuff I know, uh, not like an expert, but I know just from my own experiences, we'll talk about vintage basketball cards. I know that might not be exactly what everybody wants to hear, but there is a market in vintage basketball. And a lot of us, even if you're big baseball guys now or you're into the NFL now, a lot of you, if you're my age or older, you are probably into the NBA when Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and John Stockton and all those guys were playing. Larry Bird. So we'll talk about that. And even before that, if you're older than me, you remember Jerry West and you remember Will Chamberlain and you remember some of these other players. Vintage basketball, so we'll talk about that, and we'll talk, we'll obviously touch on condition. I think every show, I mean, you can't talk about vintage cards without talking about condition. So we'll talk about that. Moving right along to the topic that um, people might or might, if you're into current cards and current releases and kind of the business, Upper Deck and Panini might come together in a marriage one day. Wouldn't that be excellent? Wouldn't it be awesome if Panini bought Upper Deck or, hey, shoot, the other way around? Maybe Upper Deck can get some of this free money. Honestly, that doesn't make any sense because Panini is headquartered in the European 
area where they're going to be handing out a lot of this free money and driving down interest rates. As we know, I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but I tweeted, I probably talked about this on the last show, but Panini took out an 80 some odd million dollar loan um, to kind of start this foray into the United States. And actually, those loans come due here probably within a few months. They probably already are in the process of either renegotiating them or getting new ones. And for Panini, oh, God, it's a, it's another perfect time to borrow money. European Central Bank just announced they're going to be driving down interest rates. They're already in the tank, and they're going to be driving it. They're already negative in some places in Europe. And now they're going to be driving them even lower. So that's music. If you own a company in Europe, you're just doing a little jig and a little dance. Upper Deck, their headquarters in a country that's five years removed from when they were trying to drive interest rates. Now, now they're going to raise them in a month or two, likely. I mean, everybody's, but people have been saying that for a year. Interest rates are going to rise, and they're going to rise like you know one fraction of a percent. But well, Upper Deck doesn't have the advantage. So Panini and Upper Deck, there's rumors from reliable, not just one person, but I believe more than one person within the industry with different ties in the industry, not just coming from one camp or one group. Rumored Panini is very much interested in buying Upper Deck for obvious reasons. I don't think I need to talk about them. But um, obviously, there's some sticking points there on both sides. The sticking points are going to be difficult to get around. Also, Panini is more used to... Panini is a company that was like spawned from bankruptcy. Marvel owned it. And Marvel went through its own problems and kind of... I don't remember the whole story. There's a lot. There's If you dig on the internet, you can read the whole story about how Marvel used to own Panini and then Marvel had troubles and then I believe they went bankrupt and, and Panini was kind of spun out from there and, um, you know, was bought at a, a kind of a bargain price and was given rights to the European distribution rights of uh, for comic books and they've kind of grown from there. And obviously they bought Donruss when it was pretty much crapped out. And they bought the rights to some of these other sets that they make with Pacific and score and stuff like that. It wasn't like those were on eBay and were, were big, big, big bidding wars to buy those brands. So it would be odd for Panini to take a crack. It wouldn't be something that they normally do to take a crack at a company that is still in business. Um, you know, and it's hard to speculate upper deck, uh, upper deck situation clearly they have they have uh numerous uh numerous things going on not not, not to mention a uh, basically a management change uh when the the original owner and kind of the heartbeat of the whole company died um a few years ago so we'll see what happens but the rumors are out there i'm not saying this is going to happen i mean i've been saying this for for years that you know, all all of them are for sale. Let's be let's be real. Let's start over. Tops is absolutely for sale, absolutely. But there's no who the heck wants to buy a baseball card company. That's why they're building apps and they're hiring guys that used to work at Zynga and EA Sports. And they're investing all this time and energy and money uh, in management. I don't care if they hire some kid to make the cards or write the backs of the cards. You can find someone that'll do that anywhere. It's not really that hard of a job, not that not that high paying for sure. But they're hiring executives to manage the uh, gaming division, kind of the electronic division. So it shows you, um, you know, most companies getting into that space want to IPO or or cash out at some point. Certainly, uh, the the owners behind Tops all they give a crap about is selling the whole company or pieces of it for more than what they paid for it. They don't care about baseball cards. Panini, more or less, uh, I don't know if they're actively trying to sell the business, but they were trying to sell it. I believe before the World Cup. 
And so that those plans, again, it's a foreign company. It's a little bit different. It's much, it's a much larger company. And so, you know, the buyers get even, it's just like baseball cards with these card companies, the bigger it gets. Yeah, it's great. It's worth a whole lot more, but Hey, if you have one of those Hannes Wagner cards, sure. It's easy to sell. But it's not really quickly. Yeah, you can take a scan of it and put it on eBay. But then there's going to be all kinds of questions and all kinds of stuff. Those cards, you know, 99.9% of the time are, are sold at some kind of live auction. So there's a time delay there. There's some massaging back and forth between you and the and the guy to, to work out a, a rate because it's likely going to draw a bunch of attention to his auction. So you sure as hell better not pay him the whole fee. Or he better, you know, hook you up with a hotel room and, you know, all the accompaniments to a hotel room that you can get in a big city. He better hook that up when I fly in to see it go off the block. Since it's going to be on the cover of his uh, auction magazine and his website. Just like these companies. Panini's harder to sell because it's just huge. Tops, nobody really wants to get into that business in the U.S. Same with Upper Deck. Panini's really the only one that has any interest in buying uh, either of these companies. So it's going to take its time. Upper Deck loses its its ability to make college-licensed cards, I believe, sometime this month or next month. It's really soon. So they're going to like force-feed you um, some Upper Deck sets with probably some really nice cards in them of uh, you know Jameis Winston and probably a lot of other players. That's other something we we can talk about the NFL. If I have time, I'm going to talk about the NFL. There's uh, the NFL Combine happened, and I have a couple of guys. I don't think they really were talked about this, but this is going back when I watched college football um, during the the springtime or fall time. Anyways, I can't guarantee you guys when this will happen or if it'll happen, but it just makes sense at some point that the industry consolidates, and we'll get to the, the reason why, the biggest reason why, the indus- the sports card industry is going to consolidate into one major player. And right now, that sure as heck looks like it's going to be Panini because they have the financial backing and they have owners that want to be in this business. Clearly, some, some other white knight type, uh, type company or someone like Hasbro, I could see that has some ties to the industry with their Magic the Gathering property. They might see some value. Maybe um, maybe there's some other companies out there. But it would, it would you know, I, I, I just don't. Most companies I see have no interest in investing a couple hundred million dollars to make baseball, get into the baseball card market. It just doesn't make sense when there's so many other good investments out there and other ways you could be investing that money at a much safer, a safer, you know, a safer investment and an investment that has way more upside. So we'll see what happens. But clearly, upper deck, that's when I knew that the rumors were definitely true. Now, obviously, I knew they were true already. Again, my brother doesn't write an article on our site. And basically, in the whole article, literally, there's just one sentence that says, Panini's interested in buying Upper Deck. So, uh, I don't care if you have Johnny Cochran Jr. as your lawyer. (laughs) You know, there's no way you can sue me for saying something like that. There'd be businesses on Yelp that would be suing me every day. If what I said on the internet hurt their business. But what it does show, trust me, I've written about, I've been writing about companies for the last year or two years on the, on the internet. And the times the CEO has snapped, called me after I posted it, I knew, holy crap, I am exactly right about this guy. Because trust me, I've said mean things to a lot of CEOs. They don't all call me on the cell phone. The ones that call you on the cell phone have a hell of a lot more to hide than what you said in an article. And so when Upper Deck tweeted me and snapped called me after an article was posted, 
I'll let you guys draw the dots. If it was totally, think about it. If this is your company and I'm totally in right field or left field, or I'm out of the stadium with this, with this assumption that Panini wants to buy upper deck. If I'm totally out of the stadium and that's so, so ridiculous. Would you, would you tell your marketing guy to call me on the phone? You would, you guys would just sit back and your sit back and laugh. Ha ha ha, the company's not even for sale. Ha ha ha, you know, Panini can't even buy us. Ha ha ha, we have no interest in selling. You you just sit back and be like, whatever, we'll, we'll, you know, if anything, you'd be like, oh, we'll prove them wrong. You know, in a year or two, we'll, we'll at tweet them and say, hey, we haven't got bought yet. In fact, we're doing better. But no, they called and said they were going to sue me. Ha 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 ha. So that I'll let you guys draw the dots to uh, whether or not you believe me or Upper Deck. Um, and I'll let you. If you go in the show notes, you can find a link. I'll try to remember to put a link to this article. Or if you're looking at it at iTunes, there's a way to read the description. I think I can put a link in there. So I'll try to remember to do that. But um, exclusives. Had a request to talk about that Um you know, exclusive licenses, I think, are just, you know, I can tell you how I feel about them or, or, or you know, how good or bad they are. That That's just the way that I'm not going to argue with, with sports, because if you guys look back, this has been my argument for the reason why sports cards is a, is a in a it's a dying business. And the, here's the reason. This is how, you know, the NBA think 20 years ago. In the NBA. And if you're a kid and you're not that old, well, you're just going to have to take my word for it. But 20 years ago, 25 years ago, think about where the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, the MLS didn't even exist. There's a, Think about pretty much any sports league outside of like a, the XFL or some other ones that have come and gone. Now think about where they are today. The NFL, billions of the, you know, back now teams are worth billions of dollars. 20 or 30 years ago, the whole NFL might not have been worth billions of dollars. But now teams in the NBA are worth billions and I'm sure across all in baseball too. Sports have just gotten exponentially more popular. It's the only reason why you have a cable bill. Think about that. The only reason why a lot of people have cable is so they can watch sports. Everything else you can watch on the internet. Sports have become huge. And what have happened to cards? Not much. They peaked a little bit. They got popular as the leagues were starting to explode. And TV started to explode. And then what they do? They, they dropped the ball. They failed. In, in any number of ways. And all across that time, the leagues have been going towards exclusives, exclusives, exclusive networks, exclusive partnerships, exclusive people that make the jerseys, exclusive people that make the helmets. And they don't care. Look at the helmets in the NFL. Like for a while there, there, there were uh, uh, several other companies that were making helmets that could protect you against concussions. Oh, but we have a deal with Rydell. And we don't give a SHIT about our players getting hurt and dying and killing themselves. So it's just what these companies do. That, you know, the exclusive license is just what they do. It's easier. It You're able to protect your brand better that way. So the exclusive licenses are here to stay, and I'm not going to sit here and argue or sit here and really begrudge them um, in a lot of ways. What I am going to say is the exclusive licenses are going to force the industry to consolidate. It's going to force this to get down to one really strong company and maybe a couple other guys like a Leaf or whoever else decides to hang on to kind of hang on the outer parts of the industry and do maybe soccer or do some of these lesser brands. And that that's honestly the, how it's going to be. But it, it's up to the card companies and the leadership at those places to figure out how to make it work. The exclusive license makes it hard. 
Look at the the email that brought up the situation. Look at Upper Deck signing some athletes to real early contracts. And Panini does the same thing in basketball. They'll sign every guy that gets picked in the lottery to a trading card deal and to a trading card autograph deal. And so what do you see? You don't see any draft. I mean, it would have been cool to have draft pick NBA this year, right? Wiggins, man, I, I sure would like to. I mean, if if, if every time I got threatened to sue I, uh, for a dollar, I probably could have an Andrew Wiggins autograph rookie card right now. And I probably could afford one of the lesser Sage or Lee versions or whatever. But it sure makes it hard when Panini signs everybody to exclusive deal. They're basically going to kill each other off. But it's up to the card companies to figure out, hey, how can I sell an Andrew Wiggins card without an autograph on it? Or maybe I don't need to even try to sell Andrew Wiggins cards. It's just the, the, the state of reality that we're in now. It's not going to go back to the way it was. The leagues aren't going to have four, five, six different trading card manufacturers. It's not going to happen. That's not what they do. They don't have time for that. You guys all know how much Roger Goodell makes. And he pays somebody else. They pay, I mean, they pay somebody else to negotiate those deals. But that guy's got people. The guy that negotiates these deals has guys banging on his door all day long. And the only one the league really cares about is the TV deal. Everything else is just, again, you got to take how much the league makes on trading card revenue, but then divide it by 30. And that's 30 owners, 30 teams. Then those owners have to take that money and then they have to divide it again and again and again. And we're talking about to, to even me and you, the amount of money that goes into the pocket of someone that is connected to the NFL from trading cards is minuscule when you look at it. So no wonder they just want to deal with one person. Why, when the money's already minuscule, do, would you want to do two, three, four people that it, that are all going to do the same amount of revenue? It's not like if, if Panini's doing football cards and Topps is doing football cards, they do double what one of them would do. It's not true. That's why Panini was able to lock up the next 20 years in the NFL or next 10 years in the NFL. They locked it up for the same price that them and Tops would do combined. So exclusive licenses are here to stay. They're not going to go anywhere. They're going to force the industry to consolidate and get and get smaller and smaller into one company maybe two companies maybe i mean we we're we're seeing it right now two companies can't even survive two big ones three big ones not going to happen it's going to consolidate into one company only one company is going to have interest in making trading cards it's just not a big market sure if it if it re-explodes and it gets into you know where it's a close to a, a multi-hundred hundreds of mid-hundreds of five six seven hundred million dollar business almost a billion dollar business again yeah other people will want to get in and then it'll be worth the nfl's time to say okay yeah we'll listen to this other company that wants to make cards now but it's we're we're ways away from that the whole industry isn't even doing that. So we'll see what happens. But I hate to have such a negative kind of outlook on it, but the exclusive license are what they are. And again, I'm not going to sit here. Given the popularity and the wealth of the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, I mean, it's not just the NFL. It's the MLB. You guys know this. Those leagues have exploded Across the board, attendance, uh, salaries, TV rights, TV money, uh, ratings on TV, everything is up, up, up. Sure, there's blips and there's ups and downs, but, you know, go back 20, 30 years and we're way up from where those leagues were. Who am I, some kid in a, in a in his apartment on a couch recording a podcast how the heck am I going to 
why the heck am I going to, uh, you know, try to question those guys' business ethic, business models and business uh, decisions, considering they've worked out perfectly? So exclusive licenses are here to stay, and the result is going to be further consolidation. Again, people will, oh, how can you say things? How can you be so negative and rude to Panini and, and to Upper Deck in the industry? And how can you be so negative? Guys, it's reality. Got people telling me all the time, oh, if you weren't so negative, uh, things would turn around. Not really, guys. It's just how business works. It's a fact. It happens all, look at, look at Blockbuster. Oh, wouldn't it be great if Blockbuster hung around? Oh, wouldn't it be great if Sears and JCPenney could survive? Oh, God. Radio Shack. God, I used to miss going to Radio Shack and getting my little cord that I needed for my Nintendo. It's a slow death that we're witnessing, and it's a slow death into a funnel where it's all going to come down to one company. And right now, it looks like Panini is the one in the lead, but we'll see what happens. Moving on to the NFL. Woo, just real brief. I will go further once um, we get a little bit closer to the draft. And then once we, um, once the guys get put on their teams, like last year, I was all about Brandon Cooks, mainly because he went to my high school and I did see him do, I think he went to Oregon State and he was good. He was good in college. So I was like, wow, this guy's good. And then he got hooked up with Drew Brees and then he got hurt. But if you go look at his numbers, he was pretty darn good. I know everybody owed Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham. And it's like, I don't know, guys, I don't, you know. I don't see I don't see Calvin Johnson Jr. there yet. I think people are paying, you know, big, big money for Odell Beckham Jr. like he's gonna be the next Calvin Johnson, and I just don't see it. But we'll see. Uh but Plus in New York, it's freezing. I mean, look at New York. Mean, most some of you are listening to this on the East Coast. I'm sure we have plenty of East Coast listeners. You want to catch a football outside right now? I don't think so. Much rather have a guy that plays on a dome. But anyways. Uh, the NFL. Two guys that are kind of on the radar, kind of not. Um, but two guys that jump off the page for me. That most people aren't talking about right now. First one is Jay Ajay. I think his last name A-J-Y-I or something like that. or a, I don't know how to say Jay Ajay. I think he, you know, he's he's a top ranked guy. And if you follow college football or you know, follow the draft really closely, you've heard of his name. You've probably seen him. But not a guy people are going to be talking about. But he reminds me, just physically and looking at him, looks a lot like Steve. Kind of reminds me of Stephen Jackson. But he's he's I think he's a much better. He can potentially be a much. I mean, Stephen Jackson had a really long career in the NFL. For, for a running back. Um, so I don't I don't really want to compare him to that. But barring any kind of injuries, Jay Ajayi can catch the ball. And he was kind of, you do run the risk. He was he was given tons of touches and he pretty much was the offense. I believe he went to Boise State. Uh, he was the offense there. And um, I, but I like him. I like him as kind of a complete running back. I like him uh, to a team that especially can run the ball or has a quarterback that likes to dump it out to the running back. I kind of like him. Um, he's, he'd be a guy I probably should have picked up. I might pick up some Brandon Cooks before the next season um, starts, but I could have made money. I could have bought him in. Nobody was talking about Brandon Cooks in the, in the preseason. Then he was, he was doing really well um, before he got hurt, but I might scoop some uh, Jay Ajay cards. I think he's a running back that could have a good year or two in the NFL. Again, if you're listening to this four or five years down the line, JJ didn't do anything, you know, chances are it's probably because he had an injury or something like that. The other guy is Tevin Coleman. He went to Indiana, so a lot of more of you might have seen him play in the Big Ten. But here's a guy, Indiana 
towards, I think their starting quarterback got hurt. He wasn't even that good. And the backup wasn't that great either. Um, but, and Tevin Coleman played against some teams that were probably, you know, definitely far superior to Indiana, but this guy was really good. And, um, is, is kind of an explosive guy. If he can get on a team with a really, really good offensive line, like the Cowboy, I don't know if the Cowboys will draft a guy from Indiana. I don't know, but, um, a team with a really good offensive line, uh, that could open some holes. Could, this guy could be a, a tremendous running back uh, in the NFL. I think he, the likelihood of him getting hurt is 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 even better because he's not really the rough and tough guy that Jai is. But um, I really like Tevin Coleman, kind of a, again as a, a sleeper, a guy. Everybody's going to be talking about Mevin Gordon and the other guy. Um, but those guys, honestly. If you looked at the holes Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon were running through all year, you and I could have had 100, 100 yards in a game. And, in fact, oftentimes those guys would come out in the third quarter and the backup would come in and he'd get 100 yards or 200 yards. So I'm not – I mean, those guys are going to be expensive. I, I certainly wouldn't overpay for either one of them. Obviously, if one of them gets drafted into a really good situation, a really good run team or a team that, that can hand them the ball a lot, uh, might change change my opinion there, but um, for right now, I think the value with the running backs is going to be deeper. Uh, the quarterbacks, I'll be honest, looks really weak. Unless there's some guy that comes up and just it really gets it and really works hard in the NFL, really studies really hard. I just don't see. I like Jameis Winston as a leader. I know he's had, you know, I don't, you know, he's nineteen or twenty years old or whatever. He's stealing stuff. I think the the sexual assault charge obviously is way more serious and something that should be taken very seriously. And if I was a team, that to me, all the other little stuff that he did, you know, standing up on a table and yelling something, that's all stuff. Come on, we all went to college and we all were in high school one time. I, I can imagine myself, and I certainly had friends that were that were stupid enough to do that kind of stuff. But um, the sexual assault would worry me. I definitely have, if I was spending big money on him, I definitely had some kind of counseling or some kind of, um, you know, program to have him on. Not that you got to keep him on a leash and, and watch every step he goes. Just make him aware that he he better not do something like that again. Um, But I like Jameis Winston as a leader. Uh, like uh, I see him as a guy that could go into locker room, maybe not from day one, but he could be a presence in the locker room. I think quarterback at that in the NFL that can win you some games. That can definitely win you some games, and he's talented on top of that. Mariota, I don't know what you're getting there. Honestly, he's good, but. I don't know, guys. I mean, he's going to have to work on his game quite a bit. Uh, seems like he's willing to. But, um, you know, it's going to take the right situation, the right offense. I mean, if he lands up in Philly, maybe that guy runs the right offense for him. Um, but if he gets stuck in, I don't know, some of these teams that need a quarterback, you know, Tampa Bay or something like that might not be as good a situation. Moving on. Last topic for the day. Again, we'll do vintage cards, but we'll we'll do them kind of in blocks as I kind of continue to. I got to pull out some old books that I have on vintage cards, and um, I mean, I, I've got to keep. I've actually been, you know, I kind of feel like I I feel people's if people are just getting into vintage cards for the same. I've really been getting into coins the last several years with the price of silver declining and gold declining off where it was. Um, part of that was the reason why I got into it. Another reason was it's just kind of an alternative investment because you know I know inflation is really low right now and and currencies and values of of dollars and euros are are, are relatively low. Oh, right now in comparison, um, you know, just having that as kind of a, not a big part of my investment portfolio, but a portion of it. Um, I've been doing it for that, you know, buying silver and a little bit of gold and, and, you know, I bought some, some proof coin. Now I'm kind of getting into like coins, like buying them, not just cause it's silver or because it's gold. Now I'm buying 
proof coins and you know you're looking at the mintages and the key dates and all this the different conditions and things like that and and once you're buying more or less because you like it instead of it being as a kind of investment thing so I can kind of see I'm, I'm you know I'm overwhelmed I've been doing it for a year or two now three years um, I'm still overwhelmed with it when I look into coins and all the details and all the variation there's variations in coins and there's all kinds of stuff a lot of books that you have to read so I can see luckily vintage cards are not quite as complicated um, there you know there's a lot of them but um, they're, they're not quite as complicated I'll start a little bit with basketball basketball is really odd because the key years in basketball really had uh, had a lack of sets a lack of licensed basketball sets so most people remember Michael Jordan's rookie card as being the, the 86 Fleer, but really he'd been in the league several years already. He already had cards um, with a manufacturer named Star, which was doing it kind of, um, you know, I, I believe they, they were under some kind of license, but they weren't really mass produced. You know, basketball cards weren't a big thing. Tops had gotten out of the basketball card uh, game for a period of time. And so if you go back, I think the last top set was sometime in the, the early 80s, I believe, maybe 80, 81, somewhere in there. And uh, they were nice. Tops made some obviously very recognizable cards. A lot of the, the sets are very recognizable in basketball and um, not quite the same value, though. Um, a lot of people say, Hey, basketball is value because you can get, you can get a common guy in basketball for much. So even someone like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or some of these, uh, you know, Bill Russell or somebody like that, you can get him for a little bit cheaper than the equivalent in baseball. And I just, I don't see, I've been hearing that argument almost my whole life. Um, I don't see it changing that much. I just don't see the demand um, there for bas- basketball does have a rich history, but for a lot of us, basketball started with Michael, basically started and ended for a lot of people with Michael Jordan. And so I think baseball, but baseball are, you know, even people like me that never get to, never saw Mickey Mantle, never saw Willie Mays play, never saw Willie McCovey play. I didn't see any of those guys play. But their history and their legacy, even going back, even all the way to Babe Ruth, those guys' legacy in baseball are far more entrenched. So I think it brings in, not that Bill Russell and 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 all these old, Jerry West and these old time basketball players didn't didn't define the NBA when they played. It's just less, far less. Mickey Mantle is still, you know, one of the most popular baseball players. I'm pretty sure Babe Ruth is still the most searched. Maybe this last year, Derek Jeter might have been. But I think on the internet, I think I've seen it on a Google search uh, report or whatever. Babe Ruth is still the most popular uh, baseball player searched in Google every single year. And he hasn't played in decades, in century, in probably, uh, you know, almost a century. I don't know when he stopped playing, but uh, it's been a long time. So I don't think basketball, basketball is a little bit different. Um, I think you can enjoy collecting the old tops basketball cards, but I wouldn't look at it as just a for sure going to go up investment. I think they'll steadily grow with the rest of the vintage card uh, group of cards with the baseball and the football. And football is a whole nother animal. Football, you can almost lump in a little bit with um, basketball as well. I do seem, just based on my own sales, um, because I will buy on check of my cards, I will buy. I was actually in the top 30. People think I don't care about this hobby or I don't participate in this hobby. If you go to check out my cards and you go to top sellers and buyers, let's see if I'm still on there. I'm going there now. Uh, I'm number nine now. So I've actually moved up. I was number 10 and now I'm number nine. Number one is Amazon. So you can actually throw them out because that's, that's a group of people. And some of these other people might be as well. So I buy a lot of cards myself. In fact, in the last 30 days, only eight other people have bought more cards than 
I have on Check Out My Cards. And oftentimes, what I really enjoy buying are older vintage cards. People will get on there and sell them way too cheaply. Way too cheaply. 25 cents is sometimes too cheap. And anytime they're under 25 cents, it's a deal. Obviously, there's condition plays a large factor. But for the most part, um, I will say football vintage moves probably slightly better than basketball. is probably third. And in, in fact, basketball is in lesser supply, I find. I find less opportunities to buy vintage basketball cards on Check Out My Cards. Um, but football tends to move very, uh, at a relatively quick pace and nothing outpaces baseball. Trust me, even if it's in poor condition, if you get it at the right price and you reprice it at the right price, it's going to sell very, very quickly. Um So not to I you know in future shows I'll 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 go deeper into we're running on about where I like to these shows to hit on a time period but I want to touch on condition and here's if if you don't listen to anything I say from here on out about vintage cards just know that condition is everything it's just like coins condition is everything it's actually more so in cards. If you really love hunting and finding something in a good condition, either getting it graded or you know just having the satisfaction that you bought it right, coins would be even more fun for you because there between one point and a half point on a grading scale, there is hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars. But the same, the very similar thing is in vintage cards. You got to look at the centering. You got to look at the color quality. You got to look for print marks. You got to look for damage on the front and the back. Because sometimes the card was on the back side of the pack or stuck where the gum was on the top. And that'll definitely affect condition of a card. It has wax stains on the front or it had a sugary substance kind of rub across it for a while or, or sat on it for a really long time can affect condition and obviously people when they bought these cards they put them on their bike or they kind of flipped them around the room or they you know they sorted through them multiple times on the floor or did play little card games with them or whatever they decided to do so the condition is far in a far different place than it once was it's not like today's cards where people you know they immediately pull a card and immediately goes in a toppler, immediately goes in a soft sleeve, immediately goes into a screw down. So obviously you guys know that condition plays a really large part. And so I encourage if you're in the market for vintage cards, this is how, you know, this is how I've been taking the coin game. What I'll do is I'll find a, a certain coin and this can be any kind of card that you want. Maybe you want to buy an old Jackie Robinson card. Maybe you want to buy an old um you know, Willie Mays card, or maybe you're in for Mickey Mantles or, or maybe, and I'll, I'll have a whole, I'll do a whole segment on a show with this. I I like buying the guys that nobody even heard of, or he played one year and then MLB, or he really only has one or two cards, but if you can find it in the right condition, those were often the cards that, you know, even the collectors back in those days probably threw away. It was the guy nobody knew. And there's always people looking to collect sets and kind of collect the whole 65 top set or the whole 71 top set. You know, they don't just want one card. They want them all. And so having all the players in the right condition um, can be fun, can be a really fun way to collect. But here's what I would do. Get out. You can get out an Excel sheet if you want. If you don't like Excel or don't use it or don't have it on your computer, you can always go to Google Docs or Equivalent and get the same kind of thing. I think even through Microsoft, you can get Microsoft Excel um, for a, a really light version of it for free now. But you don't need to necessarily go that far. You can just do a text document or a Word document. It's fine. But I would pick the card you want. And unless it's a really rare grade, maybe you, you want a PSA 9 card that there's only five of them or there's only seven of them. Well, I, then I suggest you pick your price and you just pay whatever you're comfortable with. But if you want a PSA 8 or a PSA 7 that's in plentiful supply, if you search eBay at any given time, there's always maybe you know a dozen or a half dozen or 10, 12 of them. There's always one on there for sale, whether it's for a reasonable buy it now or best offer or for auction, you can always find one. 
What I suggest is you monitor the price. You can always search back, you know, 90 days in, in Google or in, uh, excuse me, eBay. Get on there and look for the price for the last 90 days. And if you want to take it a step further, there's a service called Terapeak, um, which I subscribe to. I believe it's $30 a month. It's either 30 or 50 I can't remember. Um, it's one of those. And, uh, you know, you can search back for a whole year. Allows you to search back a whole year, and there's lots of other. If you're a seller on eBay, it might be even more effective than than what I use it for. But I use it just so I can look back on card prices or coin prices as well, or any kind of price uh, for the last year on eBay, not just the last uh, 90 days. It certainly helps if you're looking for values of rare cards or cards that don't come for sale um, all that often. So... Or when you're trying to compare to something, you know, a serial number, even three of five is sometimes hard to find. Um, But basically what I'd like you to do is we actually had a guy on the show that did this. Um, Joseph Stuckey was on our show. um, Baseball card underscore JS, I believe, is his um, Twitter name. We had a lot of you that remember listening to the show. Uh, we'll remember that interview. He would monitor all his prices. He'd go through and just write down. He'd he'd write down them all and put them in kind of an Excel sheet, kind of come up with an average price, see a high and a low, and he'd always want to be at the low. And that's exactly what you want to do. So there's already a kid out there. I mean, he's, not, I mean, he's more of a young man. He's like in high school. Um, I think he might even be a senior in high school. So, you know, he's not like, five or six doing this which would would still be impressive i mean still impressive uh given his age uh, that, that's exactly what you want to do you want to get on there you want to write down all the prices it'd re- be really quick sure if you want to try to buy all the you know all the cards you might not be able to do that for 500 cards it might not be feasible but at some point you'd 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 get comfortable in a range you'd say hey well psa8s are usually around 12 bucks psa9s are you know 25 dollars, and, and you know, go from there but if you're picking up you know picking off one card by one card Get on there and find the high and the low price for the PSA 8, PSA 7, PSA 6, whatever you're trying to buy, and stick within that range. And the reason why you do that is because unlike our, our friend uh, Joseph that's doing he did it a lot with like prospect cards, that that can change. Guy can hit a home run in, in AAA and his cards go up. Guys can, you know, hit for the cycle in AAA and his card could go up. Or he could go from AA to AAA or AA to the majors or whatever. And the cards can start going up. Or the guy in the major league gets hurt and his cards can go up. But Mickey Mantle ain't going to hit nothing out of the ballpark anymore. Neither is, uh, you know, Jackie Robinson is um, one of the, Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson are probably, and there's, there's certainly other athletes that have passed away that are in the same league. But those two players, to me, are in their own separate room, and especially Jackie Robinson, because there are cultural reminders that we are reminded. He he is in a far different discussion than, you know, we talk about how great Mickey Mantle was, and we talk about how great Yogi Berra was, and we talk about how great, um, you know, a lot of these players that have passed away over the years are. But we don't talk about them every February or every time there's a civil rights discussion or whatever. So if you're not buying those kind of players, they're not going to do anything that's going to drive their price. Even someone like Mickey Mantle, their cards are going to slowly probably trend up. But there is going to be a time. I This is, okay, we'll finish on kind of my wacky, this will be my wacky food for thought theory that I'll finish with, with vintage cards. The one thing I would be, um, you know, aware of if you're collecting vintage cards is at some point, the baby boomers or whatever you want to call them, that generation that have all these cards in their possession now that have spent thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, eventually they're going to pass away and leave collections behind, leave collections to family members, leave family into estates that may or may not want those baseball cards that may much rather have some cash or a boat or some women or some drugs or whatever it is. 
that are far more cool to whoever those cards are inherited by. They'll end up on Pawn Stars or at the Heritage Auctions or at uh, the National. So a second group of buyers that are even further removed from Mickey Mantle, further removed from Willie Mays, further removed even from Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson. So you got to hope that these guys' legacies live on. Kind of like Elvis Presley or kind of like, I mean, Elvis Presley's probably not the best example because there's still a lot of people around that remember him and that saw him play, even someone like Frank Sinatra. So you got to hope that next generation wants it. If you're worried about price and value, if you're worried about getting it at the lowest price, Know that you probably have some time. Yeah, this stuff's going to go up in value. But there could become a time when the value stagnates a little bit. Could stagnate. Because the generation that collected this stuff is passing away, passing it down to people that don't have the same affection or the same need to collect the cards that is is not i'm not saying that i think that's going to happen i'm not saying that that it could happen i'm just saying well i'm saying it could happen and that's something you might want to be aware of and my final thought is if you're using vintage cards as your financial security and this is what you're going to retire on and you're going to leave to your kids and it's going to be this great thing that's flawed as well i don't think you should pin even i don't pin just like it was a mistake in 2007 to say hey my house is going to be you know now it's worth 900,000 and i'm balling and my house is what's going to be my financial security that was a mistake just like we've seen stocks crash in the Great Depression, in the dot-com age, and just a couple years ago. But I mean, you know, a, a, an equally big mistake to say, hey, I'm going to invest my whole financial future in that. Just let vintage cards be a hobby for you. It'd be a, a very small portion of your overall financial security and your fi- family's financial future. But make sure you diversify. I had a, a funny email. An emailer uh, commented. I was a pre. I appreciate people um, took some of my advice. I gave people advice uh, a while back, saying, "Hey, you know, don't spend all your money on on these cards. Uh, you know, you know, be always do it in moderation. That's how you're going to become a, a collector for your lifetime. If you do it in moderation." And a guy emailed me back and he said, "Yeah, I'm going to go by the model. If it doesn't get me paid or doesn't get me laid, I have no interest in it." And I kind of like that motto. Although I'm married. <laughs> She doesn't listen to these podcasts anymore. So five years, a couple years ago before we were dating and uh, all that, that would have definitely been my motto. If it doesn't get me paid or doesn't get me laid, I'm not really going to invest a a crap ton of time into it. And I suggest all of you out there, again, red alert, beep, 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 beep. Emergency broadcast system. ECB just adopted free money policy. I suggest all of you, while I just talked 45 minutes about baseball cards and the highs and lows of them, there's not much low to a government, a central bank, basically giving out free money. And I suggest all of you, now that you're done with this podcast, go figure out how you're going to get some of that. And again, I can have a whole... I could have a week-long podcast about how you can capitalize on a central bank giving out free money. So I suggest all of you go out and do that because if you do the if you do it right and you do it the right way, you're going to secure not just your financial future but your family's. And I can't think of anything more important to that. And you wonder why I'm number eight 
if you go again, you can go to check out my cards and I'd say, hey, I buy a lot of cards on check out my cards. I'm number nine out of the whole sports card collecting universe in the last 30 days on there. Trust me, if I hadn't participated in the U.S. version of the free money, I certainly wouldn't be spending. I spent seven thousand six hundred ninety six dollars on cards in the last 30 days. So. And believe me, I didn't just start doing that. Go get yourself some free money. Then you can listen to these podcasts and buy all the vintage cards and all the new cards and cases and boxes that you want. I suggest you do that. Hopefully. And when you hit it big, email me back in a couple years and say, here I am on my yacht. Thank you. Here I am in my new house. Thank you. Here I am driving my new Tesla. Thank you for telling me not to buy cards and to go get the free money. So hopefully, if only one of you do that, my my life will be even better than it is now. So hopefully you guys are doing very well out there. Um, don't, you know, as I learned this last month, spend time with your family. You never know when those, that time might, might come to an end. Um, but as the family member that I had pass away, he lived life to the absolute fullest and had left the earth with absolutely no regrets. And I wish that upon all of you and take that as, uh, my advice um, for you as well. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back sometime soon. I think I will have an interview guest on our next show and following that as well. Uh, But until then, thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.